I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 25 to 38, and、um, that's the account of the prophecy given to Simeon. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die. Before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce. Your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Panuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your written word, and、uh, that we have access to it so easily, Lord, to listen in the words written、uh, to followers of Jesus 2,000 years ago, that we would now have them、um, to learn how to follow Jesus. And how to know whom you are, God, in this time. And、uh, we ask that as we reflect on these words we've just read, that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive a word, a today word from you, spoken directly to our hearts right now in this place. Open our minds and our hearts, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, a rock and redeemer. Amen. So, we've,、uh, for the season of Advent, have been、uh, in a series called Incarnate, talking and thinking about the incarnation.、Uh, if God really has come to earth as a human being, the good news is that we don't have to wonder who God really is and what God's really like. We don't say, well, God's just a mystery. Nobody could ever know that. We, we, we have been shown in Jesus who God is.、Um, The incarnation is one of the most important events in the Bible because、uh, we need to know who God is, not just guess. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us, and goes on to say why that is. It shapes everything we do and say, it shapes our existence.、Um, 
As we've looked at a couple of things that the incarnation tells us about God, such as his patient and calm nature, God is an unworried, unhurried, calm God of peace, and that he has this ability now to completely understand us. Uh, we have a high priest who, does, who, does, who can identify and empathise with us in our weaknesses. Um, as, as we've talked about this, I've made the point that the way that it all came about is not random either. So the means of Jesus' conception and birth and his early few days as a, as a baby, the way that that all went down, the Christmas story, if you like, as we know it, it doesn't tell us everything we need to know about God, but it does hint, at least, at the kind of God that we will later see in Jesus, the, the prophet, the teacher, the preacher, the builder, the, the, the Messiah. Uh, the, the, the Christmas story hints at what we will later see in Jesus who reveals God to us. So we have two accounts of this birth narrative, this Christmas narrative. The gospel was according to Matthew and Luke. Luke's gospel uh, is known for very, sorry, just Luke in general in his writing is known for very intentionally including details, little details that are meant to portray a message. Um, So Luke is the author of Luke and Acts. Right, Acts being the account of the early church post-Jesus' death and resurrection. And uh, he's often throwing in these little phrases or words that connect back to his account of Jesus' life, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's kind of this code, if you like, you've got to decipher because he's wanting to throw in little subtle things, little details that have a meaning behind them. Basically, every little detail is significant for Luke. He's a doctor. He, he's not careless. He's very detail-oriented. Luke was a physician. Um, and so when I read this, this scene in the, that it's of the first few days of Jesus' life, a few days into Jesus' life with Simeon and Anna, uh, it's fascinating to me because of some of the little details that are in there. And I want to look at that this morning. Uh, so first we have, in, in what we've just read, this devout worshipper of God by the name of Simeon. And uh, we read a few things. One is that the Holy Spirit is on him, upon him. Uh, now, bear in mind that at this point, if you've, uh, let's say you've, you don't know the end of the story, you don't know where this is going, where Jesus is going to grow up and what he's going to do and say, um, you'd be reading this and going, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned here in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel, almost more than the whole of the Old Testament scriptures. Like it's the Holy Spirit with Elizabeth and then and John the baby and then with Mary and Joseph. Like it's just it's it's all over the story in the first two chapters. So if you'd never read the story before, you didn't know how it was going to end up, you'd be reading this and going, There's something pretty significant about this. The Holy Spirit, his Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's all over this story. Simeon sees Jesus, this little baby and proclaims this this song of praise that God's salvation is here. And believing that this baby is the Messiah, is the promised one, the one through whom God's going to save and redeem the world, Simeon says something that I find pretty astounding. He he says, basically, I can die now, God. Now, he's been promised to have seen this before he passes away, but he sees this baby, just a, a baby in Mary's arms, and he goes, that, I'm, I'm ready to go and be with you, God. I can die now, God. Now, you think about that. This baby is no more than a few days old, vulnerable, 
and, and weak and, and not able to do anything much other than cry and sleep. Uh, I remember, you know, one year ago around this time when Abigail's like less than a month old, that's, they're not doing much other than crying, sleeping, eating and pooping. Like that's, that's what a little baby does. And yet this man who is led by the Holy Spirit says, I don't need to see him grow up. I don't need to see him fill his shoes as the Messiah, put God's salvation plan in place, however that's going to happen. Just the fact that this baby is born is enough for me to now know I can go and pass away in peace and trust that God's got this all under control. Just the sight of a baby. And, and as you read this, for me, there's almost this contrast of a few things in, in the story. Weakness and strength. You've got this, on the one hand, this human being who is so powerful, Simeon is declaring, so, so much potential, such a significant identity, the, the one through whom the salvation of the whole world will come. And Simeon is so reassured by this, this, this human being that God's master plan's underway and it will not be stopped. And yet this baby is so weak and so vulnerable and unable to do anything right now in the arms of his mother, um, being hunted by the king who wants him dead right at the time. You can imagine why Mary and Joseph, in hearing Simeon's words but then holding this baby in their arms, said uh, it says that they marveled at what was said about him. It's like this, this is almost too much, too much to receive. Like how do, how do we weigh this up? Were they comforted by the power and the significance of the child that, they lay in their, that lay in their arms or were they concerned by the fragile, vulnerable infant they had the responsibility to protect and raise? Or is it a combination of both? And then Simeon says something else. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. That's partly good, but partly really confronting. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now put yourself in Mary's shoes for a second, and imagine the kind of sinking feeling that Mary would feel hearing this. Like, you don't want to see your child go through pain and conflict. You don't want to see them be the cause of that pain and conflict, certainly not at a public level. And here she's hearing this, this child, he's going to ruffle some feathers big time at a public level and people are not going to like him. I can imagine Mary sort of standing there saying, oh, oh okay, um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, Simeon. Um, like, is there anything else? Oh, yes, just one thing, Mary. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. Right, thanks for the encouragement. Right, imagine how confronting this would be. And when I, when I read this again this week, I was, I was just reminded of the kind of weakness and vulnerability and sometimes even helplessness that we can experience when we identify with Jesus. Just as the newborn Jesus in that moment is weak and vulnerable and helpless as a baby, completely dependent on his mum and dad. Mary too must have felt weak and vulnerable and overwhelmed after an encounter like that. How do I do this, God? 
a sword will pierce my soul. I mean, the whole, the whole thing's been amazing so far. I mean, the, the thing with Elizabeth and Zechariah and John and the baby leaping in the womb and the Holy Spirit and the angel and the vision and all that stuff that happened, it's been amazing. But I don't know if I can handle this kind of future if it comes to pass. I mean, a sword will pierce my soul. What, what is it? He's going to cause the rising and falling of many. This is going to be tough. And it's been my experience that when we choose to identify with, when we are associated with Jesus, we can feel pretty weak and vulnerable too. For starters, Jesus is simultaneously the most loving, tender, compassionate, gracious person imaginable, as well as the most polarizing and confronting person to those who are working against his kingdom. And so that means that when we, when we stick close to Jesus people won't always stick close to us. So that's confronting, and that, that, that feels vulner- vulnerability and weakness in our lives. Secondly, Jesus is passionate about our sanctification. Right? That's just a big word for the destruction of sin in our lives. He wants us to grow in character and develop in our character and godliness, which is a good thing, and it's for our benefit, but that means that when we mess up, it is easy to feel weak, it's easy to feel vulnerable, it's easy to feel like we disappointed him. It's not the truth, but it's easy to feel that way because he's passionate about our sanctification. And thirdly, when he saves us, when the Spirit comes in and overtakes our life, when we allow him in, he gives us his heart for a broken and a dying world. That, that might be relating to injustice, that might be related to the lost or caring for creation or seeing revival in the church or all of the above. But when we try to live out that calling and, and live with that heart he's given us, we can come very easily face to face with our limitations and our weaknesses and get to a point where we go, I can't do what you've called me to do, God. I just don't have what it takes. Does anyone ever feel these kinds of weaknesses and vulnerabilities, either because of your limitations, because of your sins, because of you know, those who have walked away from you because you're with Jesus? Anyone ever feel like that? I reckon Mary did. But more importantly, apart from the sin thing, so did Jesus feel this way. Not, as a babe, not just as a baby, but as a man. He, he experienced a weakness and a vulnerability. He didn't sin, unlike us, but he was vulnerable and, and helpless at times. And that means that some, something very substantial, that this means that God himself isn't afraid to be weak. So think about this for a second. The God of the universe, the God of the universe capable of doing anything that he wants to do, in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus, God became a man becomes weak and chooses to live in weakness. I spoke last week about how God has a capacity to now understand our human experience. This is something even more than that. He's not afraid to be vulnerable. He's not afraid to be exposed, to be weak. And, And in fact, he seems to be saying through all of this that this weakness is actually how God prefers to work. Not through strength, but through weakness. He works through our weaknesses. I think this is a really significant thing for us. 
The example that comes to mind from Jesus' own life as he grew up and was older um, is near the end of his life where the soldiers rock up to arrest him, you know, in the garden, right, not long before his death. And uh, they, they come to arrest Jesus after Judas has betrayed him and the disciples go on the attack. Let's get him, Jesus. Come on, we've got you behind us. You've got legions of angels. We, we should be right. But Jesus says, do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. I don't know how many are in a legion, but I imagine that 12 legions of angels is like Lord of the Rings proportion, sort of like big time, you know, the soldiers have got no chance. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus reveals something here about God that's so important. God is not interested in using muscle or skill or intellect or some other kind of strength to accomplish his purposes. He wants to use weakness and vulnerability. And that's because when it all boils down to it, God's looking for one particular thing. He's looking for simple dependence on him. In our weakness, we are brought to the place of dependence. Not of strength and ability, and I can do this, but of depending completely on the Lord. Um, We all have our, our seasons of weakness. We all have times when we feel like I'm, I've got nothing left, this, I'm, I'm vulnerable, I, I don't have what it takes. Uh, maybe you're in one right now. Personally, it's pretty much where I'm at. We've got kind of on a, few, on a few fronts as a husband and dad, three young kids, COVID through the house again. I don't have it, by the way, I'm just being cautious. A couple of kids got it this week. Um, you know, mortgage payments, I think I got my seventh letter from the bank. Your mortgage repayments have gone up, right? Behavioral challenges with one of them. Uh, all sorts of things, you know, then at the church level, it's exciting. We've got this big, wonderful project ahead of us next year uh, with the church plant. God's 100% in it, but it's risky here. And it's like, what if this doesn't come through? And, uh, you know, we've got building issues, financial, all that. As a pastor, I'm dealing with, you know, not dealing with, you know, journeying with some people uh, inside and outside this church who are uh, on Really, really tough journeys right now, all of which makes me kind of go, God, I don't really have what it takes right now. You realize that, right, God? To which I hear him respond, excellent. Do you trust me now? Right? This is the, this is the point. Um, and for those who are not aware, uh, many of you will be, but for those who aren't, the Billabong itself has had a number of, of really significant turning points in its history, which when something like this, we work towards a direction uh, that we sense God leading in as a church, we got to a point where it wasn't possible and it couldn't be done and had to put it completely in the Lord's hand because we just didn't have what was needed to go forward in this thing the Lord had called us to do. So we put it in God's hand and said, God, unless you do something, it's over. And then God came through. That has happened a number of times in the life of this church. I'm sure it's happened a number of times in some of your lives individually or as a family. You'll be feeling weak, vulnerable, and then it's like, God, it has to be you. And he comes through. 
Maybe now you're feeling you're in a season of, of, of weakness, of vulnerability, helplessness, maybe as the financial pressures rise, every, every second conversation I'm having at the moment, it seems to be about you know, the, fin- the, the world, you know, finances and everything. Um, maybe it's that you are about to step into a, a role or a responsibility you don't feel equipped for, or there's, maybe there's pressures mounting over just the way the world's been in the last three years, whatever it is. God's not looking for your strength or your ability. He loves to use your and my weakness. I want to play a short clip. Many of you will have seen this before. Um, it's a little bit cheesy, but um, I, I think it highlights this truth about God that we learn partly through, through the incarnation, the way it all happened. Um, it also it makes you smile a bit, this, this clip, so it's, it's worth playing. So let's, let's run that. Have you ever wondered what we might see if we could pull back the curtain of time to that very first Christmas? If we could, I imagine the story began in heaven, something like this. God was looking over heaven's balcony one day, shaking his head at all the wrong things people were doing down on earth. Oh man, this isn't quite how I had mind when I created earth. I feel so far away from my kids down there. Why? It's just hard to be friends with people when you don't like what they're doing. I think it's time. Time for what, Lord? Time for us to step in. Shall we read as a army, Lord? Take you listen? No, I don't think we should see an army. Maybe just one person. What person? Brilliant! They won't be expecting that! Lord, we're sending just one person. Live to be someone very powerful and very strong. Because there's tons of people down there. No, they don't have to be strong. They'll be going as a newborn baby. A newborn baby? baby? Brilliant! They won't be expecting that! Lord, this plan is rather risky. A newborn human baby is small and weak. This baby must be born to people who will protect him. Maybe a great ruler or mighty king? Actually, I was thinking I could send him to a young peasant girl whose heart is beautiful and full of courage. A peasant girl? Brilliant! They won't be expecting that! My lord, I see you're planning to take Earth by surprise. No one will be expecting a newborn baby born to a humble villager. But what good can a baby do? This will not just be any baby. I'm sending in the Prince of Heaven in disguise. The Prince of Heaven? Lord, this is too risky. Sending the prince in disguise as a tiny baby, born not to kings but to humble villagers. Surely our prince cannot be born in a cottage. He must be born in a palace. You're right. He shouldn't be born in a cottage. Phew. He'll be born in a stable. Those who are looking will find him, and his mission will bring all people closer to me, even if they do something really wrong. When the prince is done, nothing will get between them and my love. Can we leave some clues for the people looking? Like in the stars? Clues in the stars? Sure, why not? We can make one huge one that points to him. 
Jerry can sing. God looked at their hopeful faces and his heart was touched by their love for the fence. All right, you can sing. Yay! But not in front of the whole world. That would just be weird. And no kings or rulers. How about we sing for some shepherds? That's a lonely job. Those blokes could do with some cheering up. Brilliant. They won't be expecting that. You know the rest of the story. An angel visited a humble girl with a courageous heart and told her the good news. She will have a baby and he will be the Prince of Heaven who would help Earth to be close to God again. As planned, the baby was born in a stable about as far from a palace as you can get. A group of wise men noticed some strange clues in the stars. They packed their balloons and followed the star right to a baby. And of course, a bunch of lonely shepherds were guiding their sheep when all of a sudden the sky was lit up by thousands of angels singing. Nobody would ever expect that. So, uh, hopefully that just <laughs> gives you um, a light-hearted, uh, yeah, a light-hearted way to think about, you know, how God did what, as the boy kept saying, wasn't expected. Um, uh, it wasn't sort of come powerfully and strongly, but uh, through weakness and vulnerability. So, uh, as we kind of wrap up this morning are you feel if you're feeling weak and vulnerable or helpless right now um, or if this that kind of experience comes sometimes in the in, in the coming uh, months there's really two paths we can take in in that situation one is to try and fix it to uh, to do better to be smarter work harder um, or maybe it's sort of risk less question well maybe God didn't really say that's what I should be doing, uh, despite all the reassurance God gave back then. It doesn't feel like it now because it's getting it's getting hard. Um, so that's one option. Try and fix it. Try and work out another way. The other option is to simply depend on God, wholly depend on God, to give him control, to take a risk, to give him our full trust. There's one part of the, the reading uh, I haven't addressed this morning, and and I, I want to finish with this. Um, I, I really I love that Luke in his gospel is very intentional about what he includes in his narrative. There's no mistakes, no sort of like, oh, and this was a part of the story, you might as well chuck that in. And he includes something at the end of the interaction with Simeon that um, really, I think, really says something profound about God. Mary has just received these words, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. She's probably feeling vulnerable, afraid. How will I do this? How will I manage this? And it says that Simeon actually spoke directly to her. So it may well be that she's the only one who's heard this so far. Joseph's off doing something, and it's just she's received these words, possibly feeling quite alone and scared in that. And then Luke tells us this. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, tribe of Asher. She was very old, had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, but then was a widow until the age of 84. Never left the temple, but worshipped day and night 
fasting and praying. And bear in mind that history would tell us that Mary would become a widow quite young too, um, likely losing Joseph before she sees Jesus die on the cross. And so there's Mary having received these difficult, confronting words from Simeon, who didn't do anything wrong. He was prophetically speaking what, what she needed to know. But she's, she's, she would have been feeling weak and vulnerable in that moment. And this widow, Anna, comes up to her when? It says, coming up to them at that very moment. And she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Any mother will say that when, when someone else comes and brags about and says, oh, look at the baby, look how amazing, oh, look how beautiful and cute and gorgeous. When someone else come and, comes and brags and dotes on your, it, 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 you, know, any mum or dad smiles when that happens. I can only imagine the lift this would have been for Mary. That at that very moment, when she needed it most, to be encouraged, to be, it's, a, it's going to be okay, Mary, Anna comes by and, and lifts her spirits. Have you ever had someone come to you at just the right moment? You're feeling weak and you're feeling discouraged, rejected, vulnerable, helpless, and someone comes and they say something or they do something that just lifts your spirits and it puts it all back into perspective. Doesn't happen all the time, but maybe you've had that before. And this is the kind of God we worship. In the moments we need it most, he comes to us and he encourages. I just want to tell you a quick story that I was rem- reminded of this morning. A friend of mine is a, uh, a minister, a pastor, and uh, a couple of, well, less than a couple of years ago actually, uh, he um, had a, had a, a break, had a time of just prayer and reflection with God and felt the Lord saying, it's time to move on. It's time to finish in this, particular, this ministry role, this, in fact, ministry calling within a particular denomination that he'd been in for some time. And it was, it was really challenging for him to receive that, but that's what he sensed the Lord saying. And we had a prayer meeting with the other pastors, um, normal Wednesday morning, and um, we, he was just sharing this with us knowing that it would be some time before this kind of came to be. But I, I just sensed the Lord point me to a particular scripture. To this day, I cannot remember what the scripture was, but it was something in the Old Testament, and it said something about a period of 16 years. And I said, look, to my friend, um, uh, I, I don't know if this has any relevance whatsoever, but I'm just sharing it in faith. Um, and I shared the scripture, and he said, when he got into ministry 16 years ago, about 16 years ago, the Lord gave him that scripture very, very clearly and said, you'll have 16 years in this. And it was about to come 16 years. Um, and today at his church, he's just announced, and it's been a really tough week for him because today at his church, he's announced to his congregation, I'm moving on. And it was going to be really tough for him because they don't know what's next. And it's, um, but, but I, I I said to him the other day, I said, do you remember that scripture? This was sort of a year and a half ago. And he said, yeah, that's really, you know, God helped me through this time. That just, I, I had no idea, you know, but, and it wasn't anything to do with me or my godliness, but just God knew that at that very moment, 
um, in that prayer meeting, he needed to be reminded of that from someone who had no knowledge of 16 years ago to guide him through this time and to keep him uh, remembering that God knew his situation. He uses our weaknesses and more importantly, he uses the resulting dependence on him. Um, But God doesn't leave us hanging in those moments of weakness and dependence. If we listen for his voice, he says, it's okay, I've got this. You know, God is an encourager, not a criticizer. God is a lifter of spirits, not a, not a presence who's poking us with a stick all the time. He's a, he's a reassuring presence. Paul understood this so much he was able to write those famous words that God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And, you know, this narrative we've read today is full of two things, the frailty, the vulnerability, the weakness of humanity. You've got Simeon and Anna, old, weak and frail, Mary, vulnerable, concerned, afraid, a newborn baby, dependent and helpless. But all of that, all that human weakness is contrasted with the ability of a God who is able, through all that weakness, to save the whole world and the thing that connects that human frailty and the strength of God is just simple trust and simple dependence. So as we come close to the end of the year, let's be asking ourselves that question. Do we choose to simply trust him today? Do we choose to simply trust him? Um, I just want to watch one final clip. This is from a pastor by the name of um, Mandy Smith, I believe, um, who's a, a colleague of mine. She's administrator at a church over east and um Uh, I I saw this a little while ago and I thought this just sums it up beautifully, so let's watch that. Let me speak now over you all that the Lord wants to use each of you as you are, as he has made you at the age you are, in the body you have, in the family you have, with the mind you have, with the spirit and heart you have, with your history and family background, even with your baggage and your failings. Whatever it means to be you, God sees potential in right now. And this is what Paul is talking about. This is the freedom that he gives us, that in our weakness, God can be strong. And what if every single one of those failings that we feel, every single one of those limitations that we feel, is an opportunity for us to cry out to the Lord, we need you if we will just stop being ashamed of it. And so I like to sum it up by saying the best ministry, and I say this in the broader sense of the term, we are all ministers of God whether we are paid by a church or not, the best ministry grows from reliance on God and our weakness teaches us reliance on God And so weakness is a ministry resource. Let me say that again. The best ministry grows from reliance on God and our weakness teaches us reliance on God. And so weakness is a ministry resource. It's more freeing to see it that way, right? It's a resource. It it disciplines us every day in our need for the Lord. 
Every day I have to come back to this. Every day I would love to step out into the world feeling like I have all the answers and I know how to fix all the problems. And every day I'm confronted with this invitation to empty myself. Every day we all are given that opportunity. What if anxiety was that invitation to release, to remember, oh, that's right. This is what it means to be a human who needs something beyond themselves. I'm going to cry out to that Lord one more time. And so let's take some time to just do that together, to confess our need for the Lord, to be unashamed of it because we are among others who also need the Lord. I think this is where something new begins, is when we can look up without shame and say, yep, I'm limited, I'm broken, I'm human, and God is not ashamed of it. In fact, he loves it because it reminds me of my need for him. So, Father, we recognize this morning our need for you, our deep, deep need for you, uh, that we are limited. Um, in fact, we're broken um, because of our sin um, and because of the fact that we're, we're not made to be gods and goddesses, we're made to be uh, deeply beloved children of the God who is above all and in all and through all. And so we, we choose to commit ourselves to you this morning and to rely on you completely. We choose to trust you this morning, God, no matter where we're at, no matter how much we've fallen, or how strong we think we are and how capable we think we are, we, we surrender to you, Lord Jesus, knowing that you, you won't leave us or forsake us, you won't uh, give up on us, you continue to hold us.